Thank you, Jinwei, for leading us in a time of service. And my name is Hanshin, for those who don't know me. Uh, I'm one of the pastoral staff here in ARPC. And it is my privilege here to preach and to see so many families here in this all-age service. Uh, for those who are following, uh, you can refer to the e-bulletin if you're taking notes. Um, that's where the sermon and the outline is, if you want, need to follow and take notes. So Jesus uh, knows the unloved. And God loves the unlovable. This is the opening sermon, uh, the slide. So we all long for love. What is love? Well, one expression of love is compassion. And what is compassion? Compassion is loving another person to enter their problem and pain. Compassion is caring enough to step into another's world. Actually, all living beings long for and can express love and empathy. And this includes animals as well. Now, children, you can get your attention here. I'm just going to ask you a question. Um, what are some of the biggest animals that you know of? Okay? And in particular, what is the biggest land animal? You can just shout out your answer. And yeah, let's hear some what the answer is. What is the biggest land animal? Can you think of it? Yeah. Yes? Uh, currently, currently. <laughs> That's a good question. I didn't think of that. Yeah, yeah, it's a good point. Yes, yeah. So currently, it's still alive. Okay. Yeah. What is the biggest land animal? Elephant. Wow. Okay. Thank you so much. Okay. Give a round of applause for that. Yeah. Thank you. <laughs> thank you. Thank you. Okay. Yeah. So yes, it's right. It's the elephant. So the elephant can actually express empathy, right? They're not just big in size, they are big in love. They, uh, how do they do this? So we see here in this next slide, right? They actually, oh, the slide comes on. Oh, yep, okay. So they grieve and mourn over their dead. And how do they do this? When one of the herd dies, they will pick up the bones and they will touch the skulls of the dead in remembrance of that particular member that has just passed on. And they will even stand over the carcass of the dead body to mourn and remember the individual. They will even chase away the predators or the scavengers that will try to eat the body. So it's, you know, to respect the individual. And guess what? This doesn't just extend to elephants. It also extends to man's best friend. It's dogs, right? Now, I had a tiny dog. Um, he's a Westie, or West Highland White Terrier, for those who love dogs. Uh, and his name was Polo. Yeah, he showered me with lots of love and compassion in his own way. And whenever I was feeling down, Polo would always run to my side. And he, what he would do? He would snuggle up real close and make sure that he lay his hand on my feet, his head on my feet, and as if to say, I know how you feel. I know you're sad. And one of his last acts of kindness, as we see in the next slide, is actually towards my daughter, Eden, my baby daughter, Eden. He would stay by her side, as if extending his love to her, and always would look out for her. Why? because he will make sure that no harm would come to her. He was extending his love for me to my loved ones. 
Sometimes love and compassion can come about in the most unexpected way. Recently, we celebrated our helper's 41st birthday with a chocolate cake and a simple celebration. And happy birthday to you. And to our surprise, after we sang the birthday song, we cut the cake for her, we noticed tears welling down her eyes. Why was she crying? Well, my first thought was actually, uh, did we buy the wrong favor? Maybe she doesn't like chocolate. <laughs> um, but no, actually it was not. It was not the case. It was because this was the first time that someone actually bought a cake for her and chose to celebrate her birthday with songs and with candles. See, no one cared enough for her. No one cared enough to do that, to enter her world, to, for her to enjoy her birthday all these 41 years till now. Well, John 5 reveals Jesus' love ever more deeply. As we will see through Jesus, God's love is revealed to us and he reveals God's love perfectly. We see this in verse in John 3, verse 16. Now, I'm sure every one of you knows this verse. We're going to recite it all together as one voice. So, children, adults, you with me? John 3, 16. Okay, on the count of three. One, two, three. For God so loved the world that he gave his only Son, that whoever believes in him should not perish but have eternal life. Thank you for that. So God's love is the reason behind Jesus coming down here on earth. And how did Jesus show his love when he was on earth? Well, we're going to read John 5, verse 1 to 5 again. Okay, so please join in if you can, and we'll read this together as one voice. Okay, so John 5, verse 1 to 5. After this, there was a feast of the Jews, and Jesus went up to Jerusalem. Now there is in Jerusalem by the Sheep Gate a pool in Aramaic called Bethesda, which has five roof colonnades. In these lay a multitude of invalids, blind, lame, and paralyzed. And one man was there who had been an invalid for 38 years. Thank you for reading. So what are we seeing here? We are in Jerusalem, in the old city. So particularly, this is the northeast corner, the geography. Right, the old city is called, it's by the Sheep Gate. And it's a pool called Bethesda. Now, what does Bethesda mean? Bethesda means the house of mercy in Aramaic, the original language. So there was a large gathering of people here. Now, you and I, of course, in our lifetime, we've attended many different types of gatherings. And now we can come together again, right, as normal, right, with big families and group of friends. Now, no longer, we don't have to be split because of social distancing in groups of two, five, ten, right, in those days of COVID. But here, what we're seeing here is actually a different sort of gathering. It's a different sort of gathering. It is actually a very sad gathering. It's a gathering of invalids, the blind, the lame, and the paralyzed. Now, for those who don't know, the children here, um, paralyzed means you cannot move your body, any part of your body, it, even if you want to, you just can't. Right? So it is because they're gathered here to be healed of their sad physical conditions at God's house of mercy. So boys and girls, adults, 
we are here, and all of us are here, I'm sure we have seen a blind person or a physically disabled person here at the at seated outside the MRT station or even at the bus stop, for example, and they're selling perhaps maybe tissue paper or something else, right? And what do we, what do we intend to do? What do we normally inclined to do? Well, we're normally inclined to walk faster, we step further away, we choose to ignore and dismiss them. We just go ahead with our lives. We don't care. But Jesus here is different, we see. Jesus is different because he approaches this man. He, Jesus saw this man and knew he had been there a long time. And how did Jesus know about all these things? It's because he is divine. He comes from God. He is God's son. Just like he knew all the details about the life of the Samaritan woman that we read in chapter 4 last week, without her sharing any of her life with him, he knew what was her life. He, and he knew about this man's pain and suffering that we see here. Now this man had been paralyzed for a very, very, very long time. Not just one day, one week, one month, or one year. 38 par years, in fact, had just passed like this. Now, don't be shy when I ask you this question. How many of you here are 38 years and above? Uh, raise your hands, please. Okay, yeah, that's quite a fair few of us, okay? Um, now, notice I didn't raise my hand because I'm a little bit younger than 38, so I didn't, yeah, I'm still quite young at this point. <laughs> yeah, but this man we see here has been paralyzed for far longer than my life and some of our lifetimes. Can you imagine what this must have been like for him? I've been sick for five days and almost couldn't preach, actually, today. Um, but really, by the grace of God, I'm well enough to preach. And my wife was sick as well. And we're, for some days, it's been very difficult because we've been looking after two young kids, uh, two under the age of two, while we're both really sick. So you cannot imagine, but still, we cannot imagine what it must have been like for this man, this paralyzed man, for 38 years, just lying there, helpless, powerless, to do nothing about his condition. And this is how many of the Jews treated the invalids. They were outcasts. They were just simply ignored, left by the wayside. Now Jesus approaches this man who has been paralyzed for 38 years. And what does Jesus say to him? Let's look at this next slide, John 5, verse 6 to 9. So we see here that Jesus' compassion is extended extended and his love overflows through this simple invitation in verse 6. Do you want to be healed? Now, this is very unlike the two miracles we noticed from earlier in John's Gospel. It is because in the first one, turning water into wine, and the second, healing the official son, these two earlier miracles are done at people's requests. In other words, People approached Jesus and asked him for help, to do something about it, help them. But this time, Jesus takes the initiative to heal this man. Jesus takes the first step to enter his world. 
So unlike the rest of his fellow Israelites who forget and ignore him, we read this, it actually creates a sense of hope. There's a sense of optimism here that something miraculous is about to happen. Now some of you might be wondering, what's the problem here? The man is there, he can, at the place of healing, he just needs to go into the pool, that's all. all right? Even if it's going to take a long time, he's definitely going to be healed. Now the belief at the time, we see in verse 7, is that the water is stirred. You had to be the first one to enter the pool in order to be healed. It's no use being second or third because, yeah, there was that belief that if only the water is moving, you're going to, you will be healed, right? So it's not like in the race, for example, in your track and field in your younger days or now, right? When you run and participate, you get second or third, right? And you get a medal. But here, no, there's no such thing, right? So you see the problem. He can't get into the pool fast enough, but yet he can't even, it doesn't even help at all. He's stuck. He's paralyzed. He's powerless. <clears throat> Enter Jesus. In Jesus' words alone here in verse 8, it says, Get up, take up your bed, and walk. It's enough to bring full, complete, and immediate healing to this man who has been paralyzed for 38 years. Isn't that amazing? I don't think any of us here have experienced anything close to that. I'm not sure when it comes to mind when you think of the word miracle. Now, uh, to the children here, maybe it's passing your last Chinese test, right? That feels like a miracle, okay? Um, or to the parents here, right? What could, what could be a miracle? Okay, a possible miracle maybe is entering your child's room and finding it spick and span. Whoa. Are they even your kids? You're probably wondering, right? Right. Or for those amongst us who are doing the daily grind in marketplace, going home when the sky is bright, or your blue sky day on Friday, right? It's a miracle. Well, for me personally, uh, dancing at my wedding was a miracle. <laughs> uh, why? Because for one, I'm flat-footed. Okay. Uh, two, I'm shy. And three, I don't have a natural inkling for dance at all. Uh, but with my wife's encouragement, <coughs> I mean, uh, a commandment, <coughs> yeah, and uh, many, 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 many practice sessions, okay, uh, we managed to pull off a dance number, as you can see here. See, this was on our wedding day. We managed to pull off the wedding dance. So, yeah, it, it's possible through practice. <laughs> um, but here, we go back to the main story. It's some, this is something that cannot be accomplished with mere practice. No one but God could do what just happened in this healing of this man and being able to immediately get up, take up his mat, and walk. So everything we lightly call a miracle pales in comparison to this true miracle. These things that we have ever mentioned don't even come close to the word, right, in our everyday life. Truly, this miracle showed that Jesus is the Son of God. The word becoming flesh. 
Jesus entering our world because of his love and compassion. Incident and incident we see time and time again in John's Gospel will reveal this and show this as we read it. And you know what, for us children and all of us here, what is happening here with this healing is what God promised when he sends his king or the Messiah to rescue his disobedient people. So let us read Isaiah 35, verse 5 to 6 together. And one, two, three. Then the eyes of the blind shall be opened, and the ears of the deaf unstopped. Then shall the lame man leap like a deer, and the tongue of the mute sing for joy. For the waters break forth in the wilderness, and streams in the desert. Thank you. So seeing the lame man now walk was a sign that Jesus was the Messiah. He is not just a miracle worker, but he is the long-awaited king who will rescue God's people and rule over all forever. So what is the response to Jesus' healing of this invalid? So we look at John 5, verse 9 to 18. I'll read. Now that day was the Sabbath, so the Jews said to the man who had been healed, it is the Sabbath, it is not lawful for you to be, take up your bed. But I answered them, the man who healed me said to me, take up your bed and walk. They asked him, who is the man who said to you, take up your bed and walk? Now the man who had been healed did not know who it was, for Jesus had withdrawn, as there was a crowd in the place. And afterward Jesus found him in the temple and said to him, see, you are well, sin no more, then nothing worse may happen to you. The man went away and told the Jews that it was Jesus who had healed him. And this is why the Jews were persecuting Jesus, because he was doing these things on the Sabbath. But Jesus answered them, My father is working until now, and I am working. And this was why the Jews were seeking all the more to kill him, because not only was he breaking the Sabbath, but he was even calling God his own father, making himself equal with God. Now, there are two main responses here that we can see in this passage. So what was the people's response to this healing? So the Jewish leaders rejoiced at the healing of this man. Do we see that? No, right? Unfortunately not. They were upset. Think how sad and serious this is. See, they cannot look at the miracle, but they can only look at that he broke the Sabbath that he's carrying his own mat on the Sabbath. They just want to lay down their own man-made Sabbath laws on this poor guy who has just been healed. It's like one of those annoying class monitors or prefects, you know, or the sports coach or your teachers, for example, um, who are very sticky with the rules, okay? You arrive late one morning, for example, and because you woke up feeling a bit unwell, Right? But you're still committed to go to school over your practice. And, but then, unknown to the zealous monitor, the zealous prefect, the zealous teacher, or the nasty coach, the only thing that they notice is your lateness, not your sickness. They don't care. Oh, why are you late one? Hmm? Hmm? It gets worse for, for, from them. The worst expression from the crowd is that they actually start to persecute Jesus in verse 16. So instead of looking at the miracle, and more importantly, the person behind the miracle, they're just focused on when it happened. It's all because Jesus is doing these things on the Sabbath. 
So what was the Sabbath supposed to be about? We read here in Deuteronomy 5, verse 12 to 15, the Sabbath here is actually kept as a holy day. A holy day for what? A holy day where there is no work, there is no school, there is a true focus on the worship of God, solely worshipping God. A day to remember God who made you and the world. To remember God who delivered Israel from Egypt. And to remember and to love your God. And to love one another as an outworking of that love. But the Jewish leaders here had completely missed the point. They were so caught up with their rule following. They were so caught up with their rule following and that they forget their purpose behind the rule itself. It is God. They forget the law. They keep the law. But they forget God, the lawgiver. So they're missing the big picture. It's like you and me doing a jigsaw puzzle, right, with the pieces, but we just don't look at the picture at all. It's just blind. There's no guide for you to complete the puzzle. And how would you know what fits where? It's close to impossible. Now, how about the response of the invalid? Now, can anyone here help me find a thank you? Right? Is there a sign of thank you to Jesus in this passage from the invalid? Is there? No, right? There isn't. There isn't. Unfortunately, there isn't. It's see, he, and what does this invalid do after that? Even though he doesn't thank Jesus, he goes on then to tell the same leaders who are persecuting Jesus that Jesus healed me. What do we make of this? I don't know about you, but there are two views here. So either he's very innocent and just sharing that Jesus healed him, or we can see it is that there really is that he's just selling Jesus out. Either way, in this whole account, we don't see any expression of thanksgiving or gratitude towards him, towards Jesus for this miraculous healing. It shows here that he's not just unloved by the world, this man, but he himself is very unlovable. He is difficult to love. He's completely undeserving of Jesus' love and compassion. See, the Jesus who cared enough to stop, ask, know, and heal him, there is no shred of thanksgiving for him. Doesn't this sound like you and me, friends? We are all unlovable because of our sin. Children, when are you most unlovable? When you disobey your parents. Right? Parents, when are you most unlovable? When you nag at your children, of course. Right? Uh, I have experience of being both, because so I know both scenarios very well. <laughs> and because of that, we are all undeserving of Jesus love. Now, did Jesus know how he would respond, this man would respond? Yes. Without gratitude and even selling him out? Yes. Jesus finds him still, and still he goes out and finds him, and he issues a warning to this man. Jesus warns this man of his spiritual condition to not sin, because it would lead to something far worse, far worse than his former condition of being paralyzed. 
Here, Jesus is warning, maybe coming under eternal, pointing to the eternal condemnation, right? And losing eternal life if you choose not to believe in Jesus, right? So we read this in John 5, verse 23 to 24. Let's read this together. Whoever does not honor the Son does not honor the Father who sent him. Truly, truly, I say to you, whoever hears my word and believes him who sent me has eternal life. He does not come into judgment, but has passed from death to life. So Jesus' main loving concern for this man is not just physical paralysis. His greater concern is actually for this man's spiritual blindness. It's a warning to him, and it also should serve as a warning to us. So what are the main gospel lessons for us? Well, two very important ones. The first is from the paralyzed man who was healed. It is serious to be forgetful and to be ungrateful to Jesus. Let me say that again. It is serious. It's serious to be, for, it's serious to be forgetful and ungrateful to Jesus. Don't be like this man who is forever blind about who Jesus is. This man is totally different from that Samaritan woman in chapter 4 who called Jesus by Sir, Prophet, Messiah, and she truly knew Jesus from the bottom of her heart, and she shared about Jesus and extended it, the love and community to, uh, about him. But he, on the other hand, this man, shows no such knowing and gratitude towards Jesus. So beware when there is no repentance in your life or is shown in no gratitude. Jesus demands an end to our sin. And very often, we in our lives get used to what sin will do, does to us. We cannot imagine this new life under Christ. We dare not or cannot to start on this new life. There's no true faith, there's no true repentance, and there's no real gratitude. And we just simply go back to the same old, same old ways of life. If we know Jesus, we must not carry, we must not carry on sinning. And since we've been made clean by the blood of Jesus, we are called to then be thankful and grateful as his people. So our daughter Eden, <laughs> she's one, um, and oh, going to turn two soon. Uh, when she says, when she likes something, she likes to use the word nice, right? But she doesn't just say nice, right? She says nice. <laughs> okay? So like how the use of the young people will say nice, right? It's N-A-I-S-E. So she pronounces it like that. So when a cute wind-up toy moves in front of her, uh, she will say nice, right? Or when her grandma recently took out prunes and raisins, right? She didn't just say nice. With every prune and with every raisin that she took, and she said nice and thank you so clearly, so sincerely, and so repeatedly, over and over again. Now, this is a small picture of her believing that grandma is going to give her something good and being truly grateful. Now, in what ways can you and I grow like, in this? This week, this year, think about it. How can we grow 
in such ways and we can be thankful and grateful in our lives. Secondly, from the Jewish leader's perspective, Jesus' actions in this passage expose the gap between their behavior and their heart. See, they know knowing God's word here, but yet knowing God's word here is so different from knowing Jesus personally as your Lord and Savior. We see this main teaching at the end of this chapter. We read John 5, verse 39 to 40. I'll read. You search the scriptures because you think that in them you have eternal life, and it is they that bear witness about me. Yet you refuse to come to me, that you may have life. So the lesson for us is we've got to be careful. We've got to be beware. Beware of what? Beware of being just experts in knowing God's word. Whether it's from your time at Children's Church, it's your time for basic, it's your time at just coming here in service all these years. You know it off by heart. You can even rattle memory verses from young, right? You can even, in some cases, we even lead Bible studies when we're older. Or we can even engage in debates with our non-Christian colleagues who are atheists and agnostics, right? But is there really a gap between your head and your heart? Is there a gap between your head and your heart? In our heart, are you still filled with the same old stubborn pride? Have you truly surrendered your life to Jesus? Stop rejecting him as the rightful king over your life and my life. Jesus has come to you to offer you his love, his life, himself, and not just his words. So how can we not accept him? The year 1945, if in history, if you know this, holds a very special one in, for the rest of the world as well. It was the end of the World War II. But I'm not sure whether people, some people got the memo of it. As you can see here, I'm not sure if you heard of this person called Hiro Onoda. Well, Hiro Onoda was a Japanese World War II soldier. He was sent in 1944 to the island of Lubang, Philippines. And whilst most of the war waged on, uh, defeat was imminent for Japan. And because of the American troops coming in, and Japan finally surrendered at the end of World War II in 1945. But Onoda and a few of the soldiers dismissed the messages that the war was over. They thought that the pamphlets that was all going around, uh, all propaganda by the enemy and saying that, oh yeah, the war is over. It's not true. So what did they do? They went to hide in the jungle. They went to hide in the jungle, and they continued to wage guerrilla warfare by survive, then surviving on the food that they were gathered from the jungle, or they even steal from the local farmers. And it was only until then that he was the, the only tr survivor of that. And it was only a chance meeting with a, another Japanese explorer, with a Japanese explorer, that Onoda heard the news that Japan truly surrendered. But he still refused and to believe. He didn't believe this news at all. Though the only way to convince him was that uh, this Japanese explorer would bring his old commanding officer, Onoda's commanding officer from all those years ago, to come down to Lubang with direct orders to say, lay down your arms. The war is over. 
in Suzuki, the man, the, the explorer, succeeded. He succeeded in bringing his commanding officer, and Onoda finally then surrendered there and then on 9 March 1974. And that took a span of 29 years. He waged a lonely war. <laughs> For what? <laughs> For nothing, really. It's, but we got to remember that here, Jesus truly walked on the face of the earth some 2,000 years ago. He came to die on the cross. He came to save us from our sins. He rose again to bring new life to you and me, to all those who believe in him. So we should stop living life as if it, doesn't ha it didn't happen. What would it take for you, friends, to surrender your life to Jesus? How much more does Jesus have to do to convince your life, to convince you to give your life unto him? It's not the half-hearted giving of yourself, but rather what he wants is the complete surrender of your past, present, and future into his hands. It's not just giving your Sundays here for him, but letting him be Lord over every day of your life, every moment. Let Jesus be your number one. Talk to Jesus. Walk with Jesus. Ask him to be your personal Lord and Savior. I urge you, friends, to believe and surrender your life to him as the Son of God. It is the most wonderful thing that you can do. Let us now go to God in prayer. Let's pray. Father God, we come before you and we acknowledge we are so unlovable. We are in need of your love, your mercy, and your grace. We thank you for your Son, our Lord Jesus Christ, who demonstrated true love to everyone, even to those who are so undeserving. We thank you that you gave his life for us to rescue us from our sin and death. And as a result, we now have this new eternal life that is found in Jesus Christ. I pray for your spirit to work in us, to give us a thankful heart. I pray that you will help us to surrender every aspect of our life to him. And to know, and I pray for those who do not yet know him, or even those who have strayed away from the faith. I pray that you will help us come into the light and to surrender our lives to him. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen.